Section 7 of Flowers of Freethought, Second Series. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Flowers of Freethought, Second Series, by George William Foote. Section 7. The Sons of God. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. According to the first book of the Bible, the earth fell into a very wicked condition in the days of the patriarchs. God made everything good, but the devil turned everything bad. And in the end, the Lord put the whole concern into liquidation. It was a case of universal bankruptcy. All that was saved out of the catastrophe was a consignment of eight human beings and an unknown number of elephants, crocodiles, horses, pigs, dogs, cats, and fleas. Among other enormities of the antediluvian world was the fondness shown by the sons of God for the daughters of men. That fondness has continued ever since. The deluge itself could not wash out the amatory feelings with which the pious males regard those fair creatures who were once supposed to be the devil's chief agents on earth. Even to this day it is a fact that courtship goes on with remarkable briskness in religious circles. Churches and chapels are places of harmless assignation, and how many matches are made in Sunday schools, where Alfred and Angelina meet to teach the scripture and flirt? As for the clergy, who are peculiarly the sons of God, they are notorious for their partiality to the sex. They purr about the ladies like black tomcats. Some of them are adepts in the art of rolling one eye heavenwards and letting the other languish on the fair faces of the daughters of men. It is also noticeable that the Protestant clericals marry early and often, and generally beget a numerous progeny. While the Catholic priest, who, being strictly celibate, never adds to the population, mashes the ladies through the confessional, warming out all their secrets, and making them as pliable as wax in his holy hands. Too often the professional son of God is a chartered libertine, whose amours are carried on under a veil of sanctity. What else, indeed, can be expected when a lot of lusty young fellows, in the prime of life, forswear marriage, take vows of chastity, and undertake to stem the current of their natures by such feeble dams as prayers and hymns. Who the original sons of God were is a moot point. God only knows, and he has not told us. But Jewish and Christian divines have advanced many theories. According to some, the sons of God were the offspring of Seth, who was born holy in succession to righteous Abel, while the daughters of men were the offspring of wicked Cain. Among the Oriental Christians, it is said that the children of Seth tried to regain paradise by living in great austerity on Mount Hermon, but they soon tired of their laborious days and cheerless nights, and cast sheep's eyes on the daughters of Cain, whose beauty was equal to their father's wickedness. Marriages followed, and the devil triumphed again. According to the Kabbalists, two angels, Azza and Azael, complained to God at the creation of man. God answered, You, O angels, if you were in the lower world, you too would sin. They descended on earth, and directly they saw the ladies, they forgot heaven. They married and exchanged the hallelujahs of the celestial chorus for the tender tones of loving women and the sweet prattle of little children. Having sinned, or, to use the vile language of religion, polluted themselves with women, they became clothed with flesh. On trying to regain paradise, they failed, and were cast back on the mountains, where they continued to beget giants and devils. 
There were giants in the earth in those days, says scripture. Of course there were. Every barbarous people has similar legends of primitive ages. The translators of our revised version are ashamed of these mythical personages as being too suggestive of Jack and the Beanstalk, so they have substituted Anakim for giants. In other words, they have shirked the duty of translators and left the nonsense veiled under the original word. The Mohammedans say that not only giants, but also jinns, were born of the sons of God, who married the daughters of men. The jinns soon had the world in their power. They ruled everywhere and built colossal works, including the pyramids. Of the giants, the most remarkable was Og. He was taller than the last Yankee story, for at the deluge he stopped the windows of heaven with his hands, or the water would have risen over his head. The Talmud says that he saved himself by swimming close to the ark in company with the rhinoceros. The water there happened to be cold, while all the rest was boiling hot, and thus Og was saved while all the other giants perished. According to another story, Og climbed on the roof of the ark, and when Noah tried to dislodge him, he swore that he would become the patriarch's slave. Noah at once clinched the bargain, and food was passed through a hole for the giant every day. When we look into them, we find the myths of the Bible wonderfully like the myths of other systems. The giants are similar to the Titans, and the union of divine males with human females is similar to the amours of Jupiter, Apollo, Neptune, and Mars, with the women of old. In this matter, there is nothing new under the sun. Every fresh myth is only the recasting of an ancient fable, born of ignorance and imagination. Let it finally be noted that this old Genesaic story of the angelic husbands of earthly women gives us a poor idea of the felicity of heaven. In that unknown region, as Jesus Christ informed his disciples, there is neither marrying nor giving in marriage, that is, no males, no females, no courting, no loving, no children, and no homes. Men cease to be men, and women cease to be women. Everybody is of the neuter gender or else all the angels are gentlemen, without a lady amongst them. Perhaps the latter view is preferable, as it harmonizes with the Bible, in which the angels are always he's. In that case, heaven would be, to say the least, rather a dull place. No whispering in the moonlight, no clasped hands under the throbbing stars, not even a kiss under the mistletoe. Oh, what it must be to be there! No wonder the sons of God wandered from their cheerless paradise, visited this lower world, and saw the daughters of men that they were fair. End of section 7. Recording by Scarbo.